Welcome to the Manx Theatre Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to episode 30 of the Manx Theatre Podcast with me, Neil Cowan. Thank you to everyone who's listened to our previous episodes. If you're brand new to the podcast, welcome along and thanks for joining us. In this podcast, we'll try and keep you up to date with what's going on in theatre on the Isle of Man and chat to the cast and creatives of upcoming shows to find out a little bit more about the shows and the people behind them. Now, sadly, once again, since our last episode, we've learned of the death of another well-known name in Manx Theatre. Following a short illness, the Gaiety's front-of-house manager, John Foster, passed away suddenly on the 30th of January. John had worked at Summerland, where he met his wife, Debbie, and they both transferred to work at Villa Gaiety when Summerland closed. John became a familiar face to many who attended the theatre, often taking his post on the steps in the foyer to greet customers and help anyone he could. John also took on many maintenance jobs at the theatre, and last year liaised closely with DOI to ensure the new promenade works fitted best with the Gaiety entrance, and they didn't dig too far into the underground toilets. John was a workhorse, helping everyone he could and fixing things often before anyone else knew they were broken. He will deeply be missed by his colleagues and friends, as well as the friends of the Gaiety with whom he worked very closely. Coming up on this week's podcast. I'm joined by a legend of Manx Theatre, ahead of his performance in the title role of the Manx Operatic Society's production of Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. We'll find out a little more about the show and delve into his long and successful career in Manx Theatre. You can still listen to all of our previous episodes through all the usual podcast outlets and at manxradio.com forward slash podcasts. Now, along with Spotify and Google and Apple Podcasts, we're now available on TuneIn, Verbal, Amazon Music and Audible. Whilst you're there, make sure to subscribe, give us a like, rate and leave a little review and share with all your friends. Make sure you keep up to date with what's going on between episodes by following Manx Theatre Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram and at Manx Theatre Pod on Twitter. Right, down to business. Joining me today on the podcast is a legend of Manx Theatre. Not only is he a talented singer and actor, having played both Jean Valjean and Jean Vert in Les Mis, but he can also dance. He's also a writer, producer, director of some of the very successful gaiety pantomimes. He's also annoyingly modest and self-deprecating. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the housewife's favourite, David Artis. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Neil. That was an intro and a half. <laughs> well deserved, I think, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean, I've known I've known you for many many years through from when I first joined the Manx Operatic back many, in many 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 years nineteen ninety nine yes um, and there are many 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 things I think I and and a lot of other people would probably like to to hear from you about but first up the next show for you is Sweeney Todd hmm. so tell us about the show tell us how it how it's um, how it's going for you and uh, yeah Sweeney Todd uh, is. And I don't know. If, I don't know what questions you're going to ask, but um, it is the most complicated, uh, complicated show I've I've ever done. And uh, in my advancing in my advancing years, it's the hardest show I've ever done. But I also think that it's got potential to be. If I'm doing an interview like this in a couple of years' time, and someone asks me what my favourite show is, it's got potential to be a favourite show as well, because mm. it, it from a from a from a character actor point of view it's uh it's an amazing role yeah. i mean i saw you you very kindly called me a legend but i i actually my, my legend's a guy called tony hawks oh. i don't know if you've had tony on yet have no, you no no right I want to well get that's to. who you need on next because he is he's a true legend and uh so i saw tony play this in uh 2004 is it yes yeah, 2004 yeah. um and and blew me away you know and i followed tony actually in a, in a few roles now judas and um and a couple of others, and uh, yeah, so that was that was um, it was in that era when the the sort of gritty reality musicals that John Cumberledge likes to direct and produce were, mm. were first being seen, right? So you had, you know, you had Scrooge and Jekyll and all of that kind of thing, and, and I I love that. I gravitate towards that. So saw the show and are blown away, obviously. So when this when this came up, I was like, I've got I've got to. I've got to try this, even though I knew how hard it would be yeah. for me. Um, I haven't got the best memory in the world. I, I do have a, a bit of a infamous reputation of kind of just, you know, forgetting lines and scenes and <laughs> routines and uh, with enough kind of confidence to make people around me look um, like they're wrong. Uh, uh, and I this, cannot get away with that in this. Not, this, not this even is, slightly. This is something that, that myself and, and a few of 
my friends have, have come to uh, refer to as pulling an artist. <laughs> Where you go wrong, but go wrong so spectacularly and with so much confidence that you reflect the 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 error onto another person, and everyone else thinks that the other people have gone wrong because David Artis can't possibly go wrong. <laughs> what a what a what a what a proud attribute that is to have. <laughs> I, mean, I was um, on stage with you one show. Rubbish. I can't remember which one it was now, but you did it, and you looked at me, and all the audience looked at me, and I didn't even have a line in that scene. But it still looked, made it look like I went wrong. <laughs> it is an art form. It is an art form. But I cannot afford to do that in this show. And um, you know, even we're we're getting pulled up now. Um, you know, I'm I'm privileged to to work with your good self in this in this show. And we've got a few scenes, and you know what it's like. We are being picked up, not just on the words, but on the way the words are framed. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what the I mean? Inflection. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The inflection. And and because. Um, if you if you went wrong in the in the in the, in the music of most musicals, then you can kind of find your way back. Do you know what I mean? You wait yeah. for the next vamp bar or what have you, and all this kind of thing. But um, you know, this is going to be a full orchestra, huge orchestra in the pit. Um, they have got no room for manoeuvre. There's l- zero flexibility in yeah. in their scores. And if you go wrong, you are in deep doo doo. Um, so <laughs> sometimes goes so fast that if you you yeah. miss your. 10 bars behind before you even realize yeah and you know Sondheim he he, he ripped up the, the the musical rule book didn't he um at the very start and uh you know so he 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 he, he changes tempo he changes key he changes pretty much everything yeah. all the time um but the worst thing is as you know uh haven't done the show twice now is that he, he actually he, he you know does things does uh, phrases in songs in the same show which are very similar yes. but not the same yes and they have you know big meanings and big connotations and you cannot get the two mixed up yes you know there's a there's a you know there's there's a there's a section that that, that i do which is um which is a song to mrs lovett which is very similar in act two and act one yeah and one is the end of the show when everyone's oh, i can't give too much away but you know what most yeah. people know that there's a lot of death yes. um <laughs> so there's um so there's that section and there's a very similar section which is very light-hearted and the words are so so different but if yeah. you get that that turn of phrase in your head it's coming out your mouth and you just did it last night and i thought oh what am i going to do if i do that on yeah. a night you know so it's petrifying but the last time around when i played tobias of course in the first half you've got pirelli's miracle elixir and yeah. then the second half you've got the opening which is the more hot pies or god that's good mm. and it's the same tune but the first half is singing about hair and the second half is singing about pies yeah and it's so easy to get the two mixed up and i very briefly one night on stage started singing about hair at the start of the second half thinking no we should be singing about pies <laughs> yes <laughs> um, um but it, no so the, you know but the show i don't want i don't want people to be put off by that we are we've rehearsed it actually pretty early we we we, we were in fear of, of not having a director mm. after christmas for example because of covid or what have yes. you so we we purposely set the show um quite early we we still are nowhere near <laughs> right yes. but the, the the bones are all there. The yeah. flesh is on it. Actually, the flesh is needs a bit of pampering. Yeah. But you know, uh, we, we're we're lucky in as much as we're at a stage now where we can run the whole show. Yeah. And we've still got what five weeks left, something four like weeks, that, yeah. something like that. Um. So yeah, it, the show's in a, in, a, in a good space, and it's such a brilliant show. And and just going back to the whole memory thing, I am very lucky, and I want to pay homage now to my uh, very <laughs> my anchor which is uh, uh, Gemma Vernon who's playing Mrs Lovett and she is amazing uh, she's got uh, a memory like an elephant yes and she's got uh, she's got you know a brilliant brilliant um, way of doing Mrs Lovett which 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 doesn't you know which allows me to sort of play to different uh, she's like an anchor that yeah. I can come back to because she's never wrong she's a really strong character actress as yeah. well and I think that, yeah. that really helps in this role because Mrs Lovett she's a complicated character isn't she she is I mean you could argue she's actually more evil than uh, than Sweeney Todd because she manipulates him, doesn't she? Well, Sweeney Todd's been through uh, been through a lot. He's been through a journey, and you know it's almost like a when he finds out that something's horrible's happened to his family, it's a snapping point. Yeah, and we've all had that. But Mrs. Lovett, she just buys into this whole thing for what? I mean, she's probably she's got a backstory, sure. You know, she's yeah. impoverished, and you know she can't make pies properly, but because but, uh, there's no meat, but. 
Yes. You know, <laughs> she embraces this whole concept with gusto, yeah. and uh, and yeah. So she's, um, but she is complicated because obviously she's got a very um, a, a motherly attitude to the character that you played first time, Tobias, yes. um, who's played by the brilliant uh, Corey, and um, you know she's 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 um she's has got. She's got love in her heart as well, which is which is must be great for her because the, you know her character is not two dimensional, not yeah. in the slightest. Yeah, I mean Corey's been, it's been great to watch Corey over the last sort of four or five months. I mean, he's, yeah. he's only fourteen, but we we've, we've seen him grow into that role over those months. Yeah, we? yeah, he, he's he's a phenomenal lad, isn't he? I mean, he's just what he's one of these uh, must be really irritating being Corey's mate because he's just won something for the island in hockey as well. Yeah, well, the, yeah, his, he's in the <laughs> under 16s island hockey team and they've just head on to the, the quarterfinals of some yeah, yeah, national yeah. hockey. And, but he's been in theatre forever. I mean, uh, you know, we, we, we've got a, a, a small theatre company, Dreamstar, and we put on pantos yeah. and uh, and we the, the, we audition, you know, hundreds of kids of which maybe 50 will get in yeah. every, every year when we put a, a panto on. And I think Corey got in just simply because he had good hair <laughs> in the first time. Gary went, he has got hair, panto hair. And yeah. It, yeah, no, and it's all natural as well. So he was uh, he, he, he was this sort of cute kid with the, with the big bushy hair and everything. Yeah. Uh, great for panto and everything. And now he's just, you know, matured into almost man size, isn't he? Yes. Um, and with all this experience. So, yeah, it's and great he, working with he all He was Gavroche as well, wasn't he? He was Gavroche. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, imagine having that on your CV, and you're not even not even sixteen. It's impressive, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah. So, how how did you get started then? What was it that first got you into theatre? Yeah, do you know I'm asked this question a lot, and uh, but the, and there's only real what one answer is that I, I was I came from a non-theatre family really, growing up all the way up until twelve, um, and then my cousin moved over from Manchester. All my family's from Manchester, and Christine Wilde moved over, and of course. Uh, famous Christine Wilde Dance School, and it was uh, in, in an Onken Church Hall, and it was a family concern. And everyone in the family was uh, excited. And my mum, who's obviously Christine's auntie, took the money at the door right. along with her sister, Auntie Peg. And uh, yeah, so I, I used to go down, and it was a Saturday afternoon. I'd be twelve or something, and you know, go and ask your mum for money before you go into town and all yeah. this. And, and I'd be embarrassed. All these girls walking around leotards, and I, and, be, and and you know, would leave pretty quick. And then, as the weeks go on, I'd stay a bit longer. I'd chat to people. And I'm thinking, us actually loads of really, really good-looking girls. <laughs> it really is as beast. I wish I had a better answer than that, but I, yeah. it hasn't. And then Christine, um, I think you know, she had a mission f- for me, and I don't know why. Maybe it was because I was dancing at weddings. She knew I had rhythm and everything, yeah. and she really wanted m- more boy dancers because yeah. that helps with the school and everything. So she was, she she was very clever. She got me, you know, sort of moving furniture backstage in some of the Christine shows, yeah. and then that very slowly morphed into moving furniture with a costume on, yeah. you know, and um, and then um, got you involved by stealth. Yeah, it was, it was, it was. <laughs> and then another thing happened, which I, I really haven't told people about, but it's, it, it was. Um, I was in school and this this man walked into the classroom. I thought it was a man anyway, but he was my age. Yeah. And it was Matt James. All oh, right. And he and he pretty much had a mustache even yeah. at even at 12, 13, you know. And he was interested in theatre. And uh, I don't know how the conversation went, but he said, I, you know, what, what's theatres over here? I said, well, I go up to my mum's. He said, why don't we take some tap lessons? And I'd never been validated like that. I'd yeah. always want, I suppose I wanted to by that stage. Yeah. But, you know, I grew up in Annika, you know, and... <laughs> <laughs> this is not what you do, right? Yeah, you play yeah. football or rugby or what have you. So I had a mate then to go to a dance class with. Yeah. I mean, Matt didn't last long, actually, you know, because it is, it is hard, especially yeah, yeah. 1982. Do you know what I mean? You do get that. You, you, it, was, it, was, it was rough, you know, having the mick taken out of you. But Matt, Matt joined with me, and that was, uh, that was a big thing. And then we actually both joined, or Matt joined the operatic a year before me. But we both went through that little journey together. And, yeah. I, you know, I am eternally grateful to Matt James because he, without him, I don't think I would have ended up on stage weirdly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that, that's, how, that's how it all started. And you, you and Matt, you've played opposite each other in lead roles many, many times over the years. Yeah, yeah, we have, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, you know, because obviously we're the same age, but we are quite different. Yeah. Matt's a very, very strong character actor when you know going back to panto yeah he's my favorite dame because <laughs> he does make a very good dame <laughs> he does because he's ugly right and he's, you know <laughs> and ugly men do make good dame have you ever done dame yet Neil? no i haven't you should anyway uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm not tall enough i'm not tall enough for dame 
<laughs> I'm joking. It's so cruel. But no, Matt, Matt's, a, Matt's a very good dame. And, he's, and you know, he, he's got certain attributes in theatre where he's very strong, looks very comfortable on stage and, and interacts with the audience. So I wouldn't say we fought for roles too much. Yeah. But, yeah, we've ended up just by, you know, by being the same age and same gender and everything, as uh, doing lots of shows together. Yeah, because in The Hot Makada, which was my first show, you were Coco and he was... Nanky Poo, yeah. And then the following year with Chess, mm. you were the Russian and he was the American. Yes. Yeah. 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 You forget. <laughs> yeah. I forget all the roles, but uh, yeah. No. Valjean and he was Javert the first time exactly, around. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, what a brilliant Javert. He was, uh, you know, because he was so m- moody and. Yeah. You know, when he fixes you with your stare, you, you sort of shrivel, even Jean Valjean sort of thing. But yeah. yeah, so, and I got the honour to play that role a bit later on, and it all did very differently. You know, just as Sweeney, I hope I'm slightly different to Tony Hawk's yeah. with Sweeney. But uh, if I could do half the job that he did, I'll be very happy. I'm sure you will. And I've, I tried to put a bit of a list together of, of roles that I, I think you've played over the years. And the early 90s stuff I wasn't sure of because that was before I kind of really got involved properly myself but mm. looking through the list you've played Don Lockwood in Sing in the Rain you've played both Javert and Valjean in Les Mis as we've already said you've played the engineer in Miss Saigon you played Roger Debris in The Producers Magaldi in Evita you've played Zach in The Chorus Line Danny in Greece. I mean the list goes on and on and on it's, it's, mm. it's yeah, an no, impressive I've been very lucky I mean I, I, I've always said this that this is it's not so much talent, it's 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 just being in the right place at the right time. <laughs> the Isle of Man has got this most amazing theatre. It's one of the best theatres in Britain, and, you know, uh, people don't believe that, but it yeah. is true, right? If, if me and you were doing our thing in Burnley, we'd be in the Burnley Mechanics or somewhere, yeah. right? Which is, you know, it has been converted into a bingo hall and back again, you know, yes. that sort of thing. Yeah, it's yeah. all chipped chipboard and and we've got this amazing theater so that's one thing the other thing is that yeah we've we've kind of carved out this uh rights holders niche for ourselves whereby we're not seen as being sort of predatory to a uk tour so we can get these rights which are for phantom and les mis and miss saigon you just don't get to see amateurs playing those things over there and i you know I, i always remember I think it was Bob Marlowe who used to hate the word amateur because really that's not what we are here. No. But when you put a hundred and fifty grand into a show yeah. and you've got open you know, open island auditions and you've got full orchestra and all the lights and scenery come from the UK, director come from the UK, it's not really an amateur. But uh, that's what we are, we're not paid. Yeah. We're amateur <laughs> by the fact that we're not paid. Yeah. yeah, but in all other respects kind of we're not. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And um and actually I, I I don't know if this is true, but I was told that we've got, you know, per Per capita, we have got more um, theatre goers than UK, right? Um, in 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 the amateur circle, yeah. to the to a factor of about twenty five percent, something like right. that, right? So uh, that doesn't happen accidentally. That happens because w- there's an expectation when you go and see a show over here, it's going to be good, yeah. And and that's a, that's an obligation for us because if you have a bad one, then you've lost your uh, potentially lost an audience for four or five years yeah. until they drag them back yeah. for whatever reason. But you'll know as well as I do what mostly happens is someone will come like you know obviously I work in IT in different places and I used to work in a factory, and I'll have someone come up to me and say, "Oh, it wasn't. I was dragged along by the missus. That was amazing. Or yeah. you know whatever." And um, wasn't expecting it yes. to be like that. And then yeah, you've yeah. got a new audience member who's yes. never been before, and, and now is now and, is now it's yeah. habitual, right? Yeah. So, um, I'm, and same with Panto. Panto took a huge dip in the eighties, mm. and our company and others have managed to drag that up now, so that it now it's a family tradition yes. to go to the Panto in Douglas and expect to be properly entertained yeah. and not be shortchanged. <laughs> I mean, and that's a lot of thing. A popular misconception that panto is easy. I think panto is easy, but a good panto is very hard. Yeah, to get, to main, get that level of of energy and maintain that ever that level is is. Is, yeah. is a real difficult I don't, thing. I don't know anyone who's, who's, who's called Panto easy. Certain, certain maybe people who've never done it yeah. before because it's very hard um, because you have to please the whole demographic. Yes. You've got your four-year-old who's petrified of something too scary yeah. and then you've got your very bored father who's been dragged along probably 
probably half inebriated from the night before who just wants <laughs> to go to sleep. You've got to keep him interested because he's the ticket buyer for next year. Yes. You know, so, um, you know, and the granddads and the, and the, and the grannies love a ballad and, you know, all this kind of thing. Yeah. And it's that's actually really tough, really yeah. tough. You can be lazy, but you'll never get an audience next year. No, no. And I, I remember you sort of saying a few years back about, you know, you had you had some certain sort of hard and fast rules about them being no ballads or you'd have to have the songs were no more than two minutes because any longer than that and then people start to switch off and yeah. you have to then drag them back in again. So. We call it Chris Packet, Chris Packet death. Yes. Where you can hear the Chris Packets going, you know you've lost your audience then, yeah. right? So I was uh, lucky enough to be hired as sort of a token local for the uh, for the for the touring pantos when they weren't that good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And uh, so I was in some bloody awful pantos in the early eighties and late eighties even. And then so I saw what was what was bad, and I lived through the Chris Backett deaths. Yeah. You know, and and, and for Dreamstar, it was really just a case of well, if I got a blank sheet of paper, I probably couldn't do it any worse. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it was a complete blag, and uh, yeah. My good friend Gary Chattel and Sonia Callan went on that journey with me, and uh, yeah, we're very proud. We, we produced seven, eight Gaiety Pantos now, and again, because the scripts that you could buy don't mean anything to the Isle of Man. No, I ended up buying two, I think, for the first show, ripping them up and just writing a new script because, and it took a year, and again, yeah. not easy. It took up my whole life, the whole year, writing this script, trying to think of new jokes and stuff like that. But in the end, what the audience got was. A local panto that was kind of that was that hit right to the heart of what they wanted to see. I think, yeah. hopefully. And because so knowing you, you're casting and then the people who you want in those roles, then you can write and tailor the characters to. to and suit that was them another beautiful thing. Well. Yeah, no, you're right. Thank you for picking that up because I used because I'd cast it early and then write for the actor like Dot Tilbury. You can't really write for, <laughs> right? You just go Dot two Do minutes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, and if you cast in Tony Hawks, don't make things too wordy. <laughs> that sort of stuff. <laughs> lots of uh, lots of interaction. But yeah, no, it's um, we're very lucky and privileged. Like as I say, going back to the point that it, it's I've got these fantastic you know roles underneath my belt, Phantom and or, and everything like that. But it really is, it's just a case of 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 us on this island having eighty thousand people, a really good, strong theatre going audience, and a brilliant theatre, and the rights to be able to do it. I think. Yeah. Was there ever a temptation to go professional with it? Because it's something that always say, oh, David Artis is okay. He could always go professional. But. Oh, well, that's very kind. I, well, two things happened. Well, I became a father really early. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, so I, I have got this son. And, you know, you, you have to decide you're a father yourself. Yeah. The most important thing once you have kids is not you anymore. It's, yeah. your, it's, your, child, it's your children. So uh, in my early twenties, I was already divorced and pretty, you know, pretty in a, in a, in, a, in a dark place. But I was, I had, the, I had this wonderful little boy, and that's when I started to get theatre roles. And I, and again, just when I was hired for Panto uh, as this token local, I was also hired to play as one of the brothers in Joseph, mm-hmm. and that was kind of my first proper professional gig. And there was loads of people auditioned, including Matt James, and <laughs> he didn't get in, but I did, and. Um, that was a shock to me because these lads walked in uh, and there were predominantly lads. There was a few girls there as well. And I, by that stage, I'd just played Don Lockwood in Singing in the Rain. I'd done Crazy for You. I was the new kid on the block. Yeah. I was the people. I was the, the name that people talked about. Oh, Dave Artis, he could do that, blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, the head was going a bit, you know, it was yeah. a bit s- swelly, you know. And then, I, and then I had to do a video audition to get into this professional gig, and uh, it was a Dick Ray thing. Um, but it was when Dick Ray, w- basically, what he did, he sat down to all the Mount View yeah. and Arts Ed review shows and picked the best lads yeah. and took them on a tour. Right, he was he got in there first. Yeah, it was yeah. quite clever, right? Instead of so, um, I didn't know it at the time, but I I was I walked into this rehearsal hall um, with. Um, Steve Serling and Martin Neely and you know these different people when they were when they were very young and these lads could sing like Pavarotti mm. they could dance like Wayne Sleep they could act like Laurence Olivier and I went do you know I'm actually not as good as I, thought I was I feel way <laughs> out of my depth 
you know, yeah. they would just start like, okay, just do a stag leap. You know, I don't know if you know, you know what a stag leap is, <laughs> but you, you from a standing start, yeah. your legs are up akimbo in the air and you're seven foot in the air. And, you know, I used to dance. I was with uh, Christine Wild Theatre School, but I stuck to tap because ballet was just a, a step too far for me and yeah. the embarrassment stakes. <laughs> but I wish I'd have done it because actually it's the grounding for most musical yes. theatre dance. Yeah, for, yeah. For all the, you know, everything's got a ballet step behind it somewhere. So I wasn't able to do any of that. And it was, it was a big wake up call for me because I thought, you know, maybe I could go away before that. Um, obviously, you know, I didn't want to be too long away from my, my son. But that was like, mm, no, I, I, I'm fine here. Yeah. And, uh, and the other thing is, you know, I was quite close to Tony Hawks. And Tony was playing all these fabulous parts and he could see that I was hot on his heels. And I was and we had a conversation about this in a dressing room one time. And it's funny how you remember these conversations, isn't it? That you stick to them. He says, Dave, you, you've got an opportunity here to to do whatever roles you, you want to, really. Uh, you know, you'll have to work hard and be good and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we, we've got this amazing theatre with these um, amazing societies who put real money behind it. And you can have two holidays a year. Yeah. And you can see, have raise a family because obviously, you know, being an actor is a very nomadic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think there's, I don't think I've got any regrets at all um, because Tony was bang on right. I'm, I've got a good job, took holidays. I've got no regrets. Do you know, what, early noughties, I was trying to get myself away to drama school, and I tried for two or three years and crashed out. Wrong courses, wrong wrong schools whatever mm. and i think after a show in the dressing room i had the exact same conversation with tony hawks did you yeah and yeah it's the same thing okay. you know it's funny isn't it having said that you know me and you were both in a show with sam box yes, <laughs> yes. We? yeah and, and look at her now oh my god <laughs> and uh you know she went she she went away with a then boyfriend uh alex didn't she yeah. and, and alex was phenomenally talented and um and she kind of made it and he he didn't ish yeah. you know i'm guessing he's, he's he's still absolutely brilliant but it is kind of you know it's a look at the drawer i think sometimes isn't yeah. it she got into that show and you know but uh yeah i went to see frozen a few months ago and i thought i'd done a few shows with her you know yeah. and she's lovely she we went met backstage and she's yeah. the same old sam yeah 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 she is so gracious and yeah yeah humble so all these roles that you've played then over the years is there anyone that you could pick out as your favorite um it's funny, isn't it? I I I love Jesus Christ Superstar. It's one of my f- the first early shows I did, and and it cemented my sort of love for for musical theatre. It was so it was the first time that I'd got emotional on stage. Um, uh, Ernie Thorne being crucified as Jesus, and uh, the power that could that that has with with an with a w- to affect an audience was special to me. So that that was always a that was always a show that I loved, and then I got to play Judas. And I think if I had to pick one role, it would it would have to be Judas. I, you know, people have asked me this before, and do I, you know, the shows that I've, I've enjoyed because they're funny. You know, I loved the producers, for yeah. for example, and I loved playing Coco and Hot Mikado. You know, brilliant dance, dead colourful. But yeah, in in terms of just a, a moment in time, playing Judas was was uh, was my favourite. Theatre yeah. moment, I think, and that was a John Combledge, and it was it was an yeah. amazingly powerful piece as well. It was, it was, yeah, yeah. Again, it was. I, yeah, I just enjoyed every second of every rehearsal minute, and every uh, and every performance. You know, I love Sweeney. I love Sweeney to death, but it's so stressful. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I cannot say it's an enjoyable experience. And you know, we were chatting last night, actually, Neil. This is true: is that every time you take on a role and you have to invest in it, yeah, and um, you know, I. I I, I wouldn't say I'm really a character actor, really, because I, more method, really, is that I take on the role, try and forget David Artis. Yeah. But if you do that, it's at the detriment to your soul, because so, it sounds really deep, doesn't it? <laughs> but you do, I find myself driving home from Kurt Michael in a right mood, yeah. because I'm Sweeney Todd. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> takes me that half an hour to sort of lose it. Yeah. Um, decompress. To decompress and to um, yeah, de- de- hardwire your brain. And, and it sort of soaks in. You know, even in the even in the intervening months and weeks while you while you're a, while you're in a role, and and that's true when you're playing something like Hearted as well. So playing Roger Debris yes. in, in in Producers, uh, I, I remember being it. happy for a <laughs> long time during and after that show, flouncing uh, around. Yeah, flouncing. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a weird hobby, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's there's a, 
a role that has, has possibly passed you by? Is the one that you either regret that you a show that you didn't do, or or maybe maybe it's a new show that you're possibly now too old to play the part? Yeah, uh, not really. Like I say, it's it, there's 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 an itch I want to scratch, which is Fagin. Yeah. I, um, but again, I'm I'm not that forced. It's um, I've I've got a family, got four kids, and well, three kids, and 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 uh, and, and a niece who lives with me, and and you know we've got dogs and and horses and mini sheep and all sorts, and life's so busy, you know. And, and normal times pre-COVID, I'm flying around the world with my job. Yeah. So I have to really love a show, and I do think Oliver's been done quite a lot now yeah. on the island. So um, that may be. Um, I've kind of regretted, and this is awful to say this. I've kind of regretted doing every show twice even yeah. though i've just completely contradicted myself with with <laughs> jesus christ superstar but um you know um you guys i sat there when I, we were doing les mis and i got the honor of playing javert which is a fantastic role but i sat there at the very same year and watched you guys do spam a lot green I was green with envy because that is like a producer's. It's like, yeah. a, you know, a Miss Saigon. It's like you guys just, you could tell that you'd had a five month rehearsal period of hilarity. It was. And, and the show was so amazing, you know, and I was like, oh, screwed up there. <laughs> yeah, we had an absolute ball with that. And it was just, it was just a great group of, of guys. And we each sort of working together was, it was greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. If there was a rehearsal when one of the guys was missing, it just didn't feel right if someone else was reading in yeah. for it. But yeah, when you the, could tell. the five, six of us together, it was just, we just oh, got so my sides were hurting watching that. And it's, uh, of course, it makes, it's all the difference when you know people. But yeah, it was just, it was an amazing show. It was fantastic. So is there a dream role? Is there is there a role that you would absolutely kill to play? Um, well, I mean, I look, I I love Hamilton. That's my sort of yeah. favourite musical at the moment. And George Washington mm. um, is a, a brilliant, powerful character. I'd love to play. I'd love to play that. I, I still think I could probably dance a little bit. You know, <laughs> um, there's that um, Trunchbull in Matilda, yeah. which is played by a man. Yes. Um, fantastic role. And I was listening to Alex's podcast, and I think there would be almost like a rugby scrum fight for that role, wouldn't there? Be <laughs> there would, you yes. be in there, yeah. and I'm sure Dockers would want a piece of that action. Doc well. and yeah, Matt James, whoever you know, everyone would want a piece of that action, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah. Um, I don't know. What is it? Come on, let's get the rights for that. What, what's, yeah. what's happening? <laughs> it's about it. time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so stage has been sort of the main output for your your talents, but you've also did sort of back in the, the late 90s, early noughties when there was quite a big film industry on the island. You were also involved in quite a lot of those as well, weren't you? Oh, God. Did you ask this on question, on purpose? <laughs> Only because I've got, <laughs> I've got horror stories. About... No, no, not at all. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? Because we... Um... With theatre, with doing professional theatre, I was able to get an equity card. Yeah. And an equity card got you quite a long way um, in, um, in in film, actually. So these production companies started landing on, on the island. And I, I had a, a, a good friend of mine, dear friend, John Danks, yes. who was the island's first traffic warden. Yeah. Um, and he was such a brilliant guy and he was so inventive. He invented himself as a agent. Yes. So he did, was a casting agent for all these films back in the day, and and I had an equity card. So I kind of bypassed the whole um, working as an extra yeah. in film to getting one-liners or two-liners. And to my eternal shame, I, I, I got four or five sort of um, named parts in films, but I lied to get in every single one of them, <laughs> every <laughs> single one. So uh, the first one was uh, The Brokering Boys, and uh, it was in this, it was sat, in this office in Mount Murray at the time and they said um, they auditioned me for some part what have you and said oh, that's great but we've got this really good part it's a shame you can't speak German and I don't know why I said it I said I can speak German <laughs> and they went can you and I was betting that they couldn't didn't know enough <laughs> don't ask for from, something German. yeah I think <laughs> I, you know I did a bit a little, little bit of German sort of in school and what have you yeah. but um, and then I was can you can you do German I said yeah yeah I can I said I'm, I'm I don't I'm so embarrassed saying I don't think I've ever told him. <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I've got a relative who's in the in the army in Germany, and yeah, he taught me German." I was like, what the hell am I talking in my head? <laughs> but it was, you know, in this world, and you'll know Neil. Yeah. 
that flanneling and beefing yourself up for, for roles is, is almost acceptable. It's yes. almost like a white lie. So, yeah, um, I got this role and it was only a few lines. And then, thank God, I have this really good friend who's um, the, the farmer next door to my, my wife's farm, Anna Crocamp. And she, she taught me the lines in German, but not only in German, in a Bremen accent. Right. And just as... You know, to my shame, I've lied to get in every role. Every role I've done has kind of ended in disaster as well. Yeah. It's not like theatre. It's, yeah. ve- it's a very different discipline. So in that particular instance, I knew this li- these lines back to front and I had to say, I can say it now, to Bill Campbell from uh, The Rocketeer and there's um, Gene Butler from Riverdance yeah. and there was, um, God, who was the really famous guy in it? can't remember now anyway from my left foot um in this smoky room all these extras you know and it was in the day when when filming was really expensive actually this three big massive cameras pointing at you still on film as well yeah film you have to cut check the check the gate all this kind of stuff yeah and um the 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 big thing that threw me was you you walk into shot right and they throw a beanbag down and you've got to hit that spot because that's where the camera's already positioned yeah and that's not theatre. Yeah. You know, in theatre, you've got... You just walk around the stage and you prance around. So the, the director was already getting really knocked off with me for not hitting the spot. Hitting I was mark, a couple yeah. of inches away or what have you. And um, and then because I'd started getting nervous, I'm not normally, normally nervous in theatre, but this is a very alien... Yeah. I got the bloody lines wrong, didn't I? <laughs> but they, because everyone else's lines were far more important than mine, yeah. that was just in the film. Yeah. And then, you know, watch the film later on, sure enough, dubbed. <laughs> dubbed over. And I was like... Oh. So <laughs> I did not realise that. I've seen yeah. The Broken Voice several times, but I've never realised you were dubbed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> dubbed. Dubbed. For one of the lines, anyway. So, yeah, and then, you know, lots of things. So uh, th- there was... Um, I got on a film called Stiff Upper Lips, and... Oh, shame you're not a hurdler. I'm a hurdler. <laughs> Are you a hurdler? Yep. Yeah, I'm a hurdler. <laughs> so, had to go and learn to hurdle. Yeah. And um, a lad called Kevin Furlow, who was a hurdling for the island, taught yes, me to I hurdle. Can. And then, lo and behold, because the audition period was like months before, they set me against a real hurdler, who was Kevin Furlon. And um, and we had to run around the, um, the courtyard of King Williams College. And that was fine until they put champagne glasses on every hurdle because uh, that's that was in the script. Right. You know, it was part of the uh, inauguration. I was playing Roger Bannister in this particular film and right. I, was, I had a couple of lines with Samuel West, who's, uh, who's very famous, and I proceeded to knock down every hurdle on the way. <laughs> so, yeah. How many, how many glasses did you smash? Oh, don't know. 20, 30 <laughs> glasses of champagne. <laughs> Again, I've managed to really irritate every film director I've ever worked with so stick to theater and that's the that's the moral yeah, of that story yeah yeah oh the worst one i'll tell you the worst one sorry just only be, i did a um i played a, a, a cop um a policeman in um everybody loves sunshine which is called busted in america anyway it's and i was they, david bowie was in that but my scene wasn't with david bowie yeah. and and this wasn't my fault this time thankfully but um i was with this uh, rap artist um to be unnamed at this stage but I'm convinced he wasn't in a, the right state, um, <laughs> drink or something else maybe. Um, and we had to film, and we filmed in Liverpool or yeah. here. It was it was duly filmed in both Liverpool and here. And yeah, so I'd meticulously learned my lines as you do, trained actor, yeah. you know, equity card holder. And I had one job, which is to talk to this guy down when he's holding a gun to me. And I had a, um, a policeman's helmet on, and in this policeman's helmet was a very explo- very um, expensive explosive device called a squib. Right. It's a one-time use device because it blows the helmet to pieces and it's supposed yeah. to sh- you know brains and all this kind of thing i'm supposed to say please put the gun down sir um you know your life isn't worth it let's see if we can turn this around blah 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 anyway i roll into shots everyone's talked to by the director this is a one-time take do not screw it up we're gonna film it no matter what happens anyway yeah so you're the pressure's on you and I was like, oh god anyway so this guy that was playing opposite starts rambling nothing to do with the script all on film the director's Everyone's looking at each other. Now, this explosive device in my in my helmet is attached to a lead because it's not remote control in those yeah, days, yeah. obviously. And there's a guy at my ankle, a little a guy with headphones on, holding a button. And he's got a cue line, yeah. which is, uh, I don't care. That was the line he yeah. had to say. And bump, and the, then the <laughs> helmet explodes. And uh, this guy's... I didn't know when to put my line in. So yeah. I was looking down and uh, in the end just went, I don't care. 
the guy went, oh, I'm going to blow the helmet. The helmet blew. Now, when you get your head blown off, yeah. you are supposed to fall down, but it yeah. did shock me. So I <laughs> stood there for a couple of seconds, then remembered I had to fall down <laughs> and fell down. Uh, they managed to edit. I saw the film much later on, managed to edit it, um, and it and the scene looked okay, apart from my appalling acting, because I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. I literally had no idea what was going on. So, again, I'll stick to theatre. Brilliant. This is called the Theatre Podcast, isn't it? it? Is. It's not, the, not the film yeah. podcast, as you yeah. can cut all that, Neil. You're listening to the Manx Theatre Podcast with Neil Callan. So, like I said, we've, you've got quite an impressive list of, of shows that you've done over the years. I'm sure there are shows there with, with varying budgets. So there are costumes that will have been fantastic and costumes that may not have been quite so good. So what would you say would be the, the best and the worst costume that you've had to wear over the years? Um... Best and worst costume. I suppose I could put one costume in both those categories. So that was when I played Phantom. Yeah. And it wasn't so much the costume; it was the prosthetics. Yeah. So it was a you know it was a, it was a three hour ordeal to get this um, fake skull and half face on, and and that was really really uncomfortable by the end of the show. Yeah. And it, and in fact, you know, you, what people don't realise is when you watch shows with people with prosthetics, is you're still sweating. Yes. But the sweat. Is it forms a barrier between you and this prosthetic. and this prosthetic, and is this not as if it stops your sweating, Rob? So, it, it's it's there's rivers of sweat falling down from little parts of this skull cap that you've got on. It's yeah. absolutely gross. Yeah. Um, but it was an, it was also the effect. You yeah. know, was was amazing. It was amazing. I suppose if if I had one nightmare costume and it's only from a very personal point of view it was it was in joseph the um the producers directors most of the cast were gay <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and most of them are all my best good really good friends even to this day they're all sort of west end now um yeah these guys that would could do stag leaps and everything were were turned out to be actually really really good and ended up in west end shows yeah but, but it was done very camp this was the campus joseph ever done and i know that it's always been done camp, but this was Uber, Uber camp. <laughs> and um, and Dick Ray being Dick Ray decided to put a number in that um, Andrew Lloyd Webber actually hated and took out the show. Right. It's called um, you're, you're Not you're not Wanted Back at Home. Right. Um, and it's a big tap number. Right. And um, so Dick said, oh, we're going to put this in. Uh, actually, someone found out and, uh, and, and complained, and we had to completely rework the show halfway through the run because right. uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber found out. He was in deep doo-doo. So, um, but opening night i had to go out and uh, all i was wearing was a tiny pair of white shorts socks that went up to my knee and a little tiny white waistcoat top hat and tap shoes and uh, we were all dressed like that oh, yeah. it was a kick line right yeah. but it was it was the most campus thing i've ever worn in all my life and um and it's coming from a man who's played roger debris yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that was that was drag. Yeah, um, and then um, and my dad, who is um, was he was sadly passed away years ago, but he was still alive and he was on the front row, <laughs> and he never really got this theatre thing. Yeah. you know, um, he was dead proud of me. Of course, he was. Yeah. Um, but it was, I think that was a step too far for him at back at um, a different time, right? So, uh, yeah, looking at I could watch see his face, and it was just like, oh. God, what are the lads in work? Because we all worked together at Ron's Warcraft Company, yeah, including yeah. my dad. I could just see him going, "What are you wearing, son?" So yeah, that was that was horrible. So over the years, then you've like I think we sort of touched on this slightly before, but you've you've worked with some some brilliant leading ladies. You've had Sarah Holland. There's been Lisa Dancock. You've now got Gemma. You've had uh, Emily Coates. Um, mm. There've been some amazing women to to work alongside there. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, this is our gender swap question. Oh. If you could play a role of the opposite gender, which one would it be? Yeah, easiest question I think you've got to ask me because, yeah, Miss, Mrs. Lovett, hands down. Yeah. I love Sarah Holland doing it. She was absolutely hilarious and Gemma's going to be phenomenal. Yes. Um, but, yeah, that, 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 this really shouldn't be called Sweeney Todd. It should be called Mrs. Lovett. You know, because actually a lot of the plot revolves around her. She's on stage just as much as me. She's got uh, an, uh, some amazing songs, yeah. and she's a proper character. Um, but yeah, so that that easy, easy peasy, Mrs. Lovett, hands down. Yeah, I mean there are there are a few shows like that where actually the the best p- character isn't the the named character, like Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, 
Judas is the part that you want to play. Judas is the best part. Well, it part follows him, it. doesn't it? It's yeah. his story, really. Yeah. yeah. And then get the Rocky Horror show. Well, it's not about Rocky Horror. It's Dr. Frankenfurt. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. There's, there's, there are a few like that along the way as well. Yeah. I remember you and Rocky Horror, mate. You were, you were a buff. You know, Proper if I, buff. If only I'd had George Wilde. <laughs> if only <laughs> hadn't been four at the time. It would have been. <laughs> <laughs> Did a good job without George Wilde, mate. You'd be oh, right. it would be great. Right, okay. So it's a little something that I've introduced in the last couple of episodes. This is a little bit of a quiz about the show, just to see how well you know oh, it. Oh, God. <laughs> right, okay. So I've got ten questions. And I recorded uh, uh, an episode with uh, Alex Maxwell and Hannah on Monday night, but that's going to come out after this one. And I've asked them the same questions. Let's see how you do in comparison to them. You've done this on purpose. Maybe. (laughs) Right, so I'll start off with an easy one. Mm -hmm. Who wrote the music and lyrics for Sweeney Todd? Okay, thank you for the easy one, Stephen Sondheim. Correct. (laughs) What year was the original Broadway production? 78 79 and then it went to London the following year in in 1980 right in the original London cast who played Sweeney and Mrs Lovett oh you've watched the documentary I have Frank don't know Dennis Quilly Dennis Quilly and Sheila Hancock Sheila Hancock Dennis Quilly yes he's amazing yeah um it was Len Carew and Angela Lansbury on Broadway. Len Carew, yeah, that's what I was thinking about, Frank. Okay, yeah. Okay, should be a fairly easy one, this one. In the movie version, who played Judge Turpin and Beadle Bamford? Um, so, Judge Turpin was Alan Rickman. Yep. Beadle Bamford was him from... I'll feed the same pet. Yeah. Can't remember though his name. Timothy Spall. Timothy Spall, Yes. Here's a. It's probably something you either know or you don't, but it's a. It's a stick your finger in the air kind of a number. All right. How many Tony Awards did the original Broadway production win? Oh, I know this. Uh, Fourteen. Close. It was eight. Yeah. See, I did one of those things. Then. <laughs> <laughs> confidence. Yes. Going wrong with confidence. Uh, yeah. It was nominated for nine and it won eight. Really. It won best musical, best book of a musical, best original score, best leading actor in a musical, best actress in a musical. Best Direction of a Musical for Hal Prince. Right. Uh, best Scenic Design and Best Costume Design. The only one it missed out was Lighting. Wow. Do you know what? It almost wants you to go out and buy a ticket, doesn't it? It does indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, right, question six. What is the opening number of Act Two? God, that's good. Yeah. Or more hot pies. I'd accepted both. Right. I'm not entirely sure. That was a trick question because, yeah. like, I have been doing this for four months. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the songs that you're singing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now this is this is a best guess because I'm not entirely sure of the number. But how many people are killed by Sweeney throughout the run of the show? Oh, oh God, that's a really I really should know that, shouldn't I? Um, Without naming names and giving spoilers. Actually, I don't think it's as many as you think. It's five. It's eight. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Mm. Okay. Right. Very good. I would go into the name, but we don't want to don't want to give any spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, right. So, in the Manx Operatic Society 2004 production, who played Mrs. Lovett? Ah, uh, the lovely Sarah Nichols, Sarah Holland. Sarah Nichols at the time. Yes, just she was just Sarah Nichols. Yeah, she got married that year. Mm. So yeah, she would have been Sarah Holland later that year. Yeah. Okay, number nine, and I'm not too sure this is mentioned in the show anywhere at all, but. In what year is Sweeney Todd set? 1851. No, it's set in 1785. Is it really? Yeah. I mean, the original book that the original play that the musical is based on was set in 1785. Wow. Mm. So, well, the last question then. I would check that if I were you, Neil. Only because we had a conversation about guns yesterday. There's yeah. a gun in the show and um, we've been sent to two guns and one's looks too old from the 19 from the 17th century yeah. and ones from the 18th century so yeah i don't know yeah. i mean john might have set set his version later, okay, but, yeah. okay. The, but from the original right. book it's we'll agree to disagree yeah. yeah fine so the story of sweeney todd first appeared as a series of victorian penny dreadfuls published in a magazine over 1846 and 1847 so that's probably where you're right with the that mm-hmm. kind of 18 period it was called sweeney todd and the string of what oh the string of onions yeah close Pearls. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't do too badly there, actually. You got 
You got more than Alex and Hannah managed anyway. Did so I? One, two, well. three, four, five, six, seven. You got seven. Very seven intelligent, Neil. Excellent. That's that, that's good. That's a that's a, <laughs> that's a that's a gold star. Seven out of ten. Well done. Right. Okay. So um, the next final thing really is our Spotify playlist. So back mm. in July two thousand and twenty, we started our playlist. Mm-hmm. And Neil King and I, we set it up. We chose ten songs each, and these are songs that either we've performed in a show, the the songs that we really like, or the songs that they, that mean something to us. Mm. So we started off with with twenty because it was a decent place to start with a, a playlist because no one wants a playlist with two songs in it. Yeah. And then every guest that we've had on the the podcast since then has added another song onto the playlist. Some of the additions we've had were Tony Eccles chose "When I Grow Up" from Matilda. Nikki Openshaw chose You'll Be Found from Dear Evan Hansen. Alex Armstrong chose Children Will Listen from Into the Woods. And Jeff Pugh chose You'll Be Back from Hamilton. Mm. So, David Artis, which song would you like to add to the Spotify playlist and why? Mm, that's It's a great question. And uh, I am asked this a few times and I've always got the same answer. So I am going to make it different. Normally, I would pick um, Gethsemane from Jesus Christ Superstar, the mm. uh, Steve Balsamo version. Or the Matt Crea version, who's also brilliant. But actually, I think going back to just one of my favourite ever roles, which was the engineer in Miss Saigon, uh, I am going to go for American Dream. Brilliant! That's a that's a fantastic song. It's one of, certainly one of my favourites from that show. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, shouldn't be legal, should we? Having a having a <laughs> hobby where you're surrounded by <laughs> bikini ladies the whole day <laughs> must must be awful for you. Awful, awful. <laughs> Hated every minute. So. What's next, David? What's what's coming up after after Sweeney Todd? What's next on the the cards for you? Um, well, acting wise, not much. I uh, do like I say, I like to pick and choose, I guess. Um, so back into retirement again. But uh, I, I know you, you you interviewed Alex Tui a few weeks ago, so we are putting on uh, Full Monty again. It's Alex's company. I'm, I'm directing. Um, so yeah, that's the next thing. It's in July 2023. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're just in the middle of getting the cast together, which is largely the same as as, as it was before, with a few additions and changes. And uh, yes, that that's the next thing. It was really really exciting. That was a brilliant show. It's been yeah. a good few years since it's been done, and the audience loved it. And again, it's you know it's one of those things where you, it, you if you feel like you're you're giving something to an audience, that's such a gratifying feeling when yeah. you know seeing them stand up and whoop and cheer. And in this one, actually, it's it's interesting because they we we do two evening performances. We do an early evening and yeah. a late evening, and um, yeah, we had to have female bouncers last time because <laughs> the girls like to be girls and have a few drinks and yeah, uh, yeah. Get a bit raucous, get a bit raucous, and yes, great, it's great fun, brilliant. So, David, thank you very much. I wish you all the the very very best with with Sweeney Todd, and uh, no doubt we'll get you back again with Alex next year to talk about Full Monty close to the time. Fantastic, and thank you, Neil, for having me on, and good luck with you for Sweeney Todd. Thank you very much. Horrible Beadle Bamford. Lovely. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much. Bye. You're listening to the Manx Theatre Podcast, and with that, we bring episode thirty to a close. Thanks once again for David for joining me on the podcast, and we wish him all the very best for Sweeney Todd, which is running at the Gaiety Theatre from the fifth to the twelfth of March. If you haven't done so already, make sure to get your tickets now from villagaity.com, the Welcome Centre, or by calling 600 555. Remember to like and follow our social media pages to get notifications of upcoming episodes and events. Don't forget to check out our Spotify playlist by searching for Manx Theatre Podcast under Playlists. If you have any events that you'd like us to talk about or promote on a future episode, you can contact us through our social media accounts or by email to manxtheatrepodcast at gmail.com. All that remains is to say thanks for listening, and I hope you join me again next time on the Manx Theatre Podcast. I've been Neil Callan. Goodbye. The Manx Theatre Podcast. Taking a look behind the scenes of Manx Theatre. Men actors alive for me.